Morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Great to see you. You know, we are, as, because we're one church that meets in multiple locations, it's always good to kind of give a shout out and show some hospitality. So let's just say good morning and welcome everyone in Edgewood. Good morning, everyone in Aberdeen, Abingdon, Mountain Road, online. Glad you're here. Welcome to week two of a series we're calling Weeds in My Garden. It's a, it's a series where we're just trying to get honest about what's going on in our own lives, around so many, the lives of so many other people, about mental health, because the fact is, uh, we've got a problem. So many of us uh, and people that we care about are dealing with, struggling with things like worry and anxiety and stress and burnout and loneliness and panic and uh, um, even self-harm and, and suicide, depression, these kinds of things. And, and Jesus is not okay with that, you know. He cares about us. He cares about um, our whole selves, not just the spiritual part of us. Jesus wants to bring you with him to heaven one day, but he wants to bring wholeness and healing to you on earth right now. And so we're trying to pay attention to that and put stuff in our toolbox and God has given us a lot of things that can go in our toolbox. It's all part of a, a bigger deal, an initiative at Mountain that, that we're calling Unstoppable Good over a two-year period. We're just wanting to go deeper with our own spiritual growth and like wider with our ministry impact. And we just knew we had to do something about, um, about this mental health stuff that's happening all around us. And so this series we call Weeds in My Garden. It's from an artist by the name of Kendall Inskeep. And Kendall was going through a really rough period in her life. And if you haven't heard the message from last week, by the way, really, really encourage you to jump in and get that. It sets the stage for a lot of stuff, okay? But uh, she was going through a rough period in her time and, and in her life, and she wrote these words. And, and here's, here's some of the words uh, that she says. She says, I tell you that I'm whole, but I'm actually still healing. I tell you that I'm happy, but I'm, I'm grieving. I thought I was a fighter, but I feel like I'm still in the fire but if I'm being honest, I'm not being honest. I'll give you roses, just hoping you don't see the weeds in my garden. If I'm being honest, I'm at my darkest. I'm sitting here waiting and praying for someone to show me what love is. I'm just being honest. And man, so many of us um, can relate to parts of that, right? Where there's an internal struggle that we feel and doesn't always match up with the roses that we hand out. And we just want to try to get to what Jesus was getting at. When he, when he said, this is how Jesus began his ministry in Luke chapter 4. When he, when he said, man, to the burdened and the battered, he just want to set everybody free. So that everyone who suffers can be set free. And that's, that's all of us. I just got to say, the feedback from this, the buzz, the attendance, all of this is just indicating, man, this is so important and we need this. And we're just trying to offer help and hope for ourselves and the people that we care about. All right? So let's just get at it and, and see where we're going to go. Um, every week we'll probably touch on just briefly this concept because I think it might be so important. And that is that when we talk about weeds in our garden, we've all got them to different degrees and different times. We have to kind of pause and remember, now where does that come from? You know, what are the causes of different things that we might label as poor mental health? You know, so uh, there's at least four roots, uh, that's how you pronounce that, roots or causes 
um, uh, or, or sort of things that can cause this stuff in our life. And the first is situational, like when something comes up in your life, you, you get a bad review at work, there's tension with a relative or, or something you're angry about or, you know, just hypothetically, you're, you know, your starting quarterback is out for the playoffs, whatever. Okay, there's, there's some situational stuff that can add stress, anxiety, whatever in our lives. The second sort of cause, though, is, is not, not everything is situational. It might be biological, where there's something in your system uh, that, that just how you are hardwired, how you are made, some bodies are made so that they need, uh, you know, more insulin or more prone to anxiety and so forth. A third is medical, where there's something out of whack going on in your system, your chemical imbalance in your brain or, or, or some hormonal thing that's imbalanced or whatever. So, you know, these can be all different contributing causes to mental health. A fourth is spiritual itself. Where if we're not walking with God, sometimes there are consequences in our life that come into play that affect things that we would call, man, mental health. Sometimes the causes are spiritual. Sometimes mental health stuff causes other things like guilt and shame or I'm like my self-worth is in the crapper. Well, guess what? Those become spiritual issues themselves, right? And so um, these are all things that can contribute to our mental health and usually... It's some combination of these, the way they play off each other, okay? Um, it's probably also important to note two th quick things on this because we're in a church, we're Christian people, we're, we, you know, we're, we're hearing from a pastor right now. We've got to remember not to make everything spiritual because that's kind of our go-to. If you just pray more, it'll all go away. Your repression will be solved. It's like, no, we're not, we're not saying that. God's made us more complex than that. He's given us more tools in the box. It's not quite that simple. But also, let's not forget that sometimes there are spiritual connections to things. And if we go all clinical and we just go, you can see counselors all day long and take drugs all you want or whatever you want to do. But if, if the underlying cause is a fundamental disjointedness with you and God, you will never find the serenity, the peace, the hope, the joy, the lasting, what you're looking for until you do. So with all of that, let's, uh, let's jump in today and we're going to try to get some help and some hope around the concepts of worry, okay? Worry and anxiety, which is a big, big deal for a lot of us. In fact, now, ladies and gentlemen, it is number one issue among women. Way to go, ladies. You're leading the way with worry and with anxiety. It is number two among men, which I think is interesting when you unpack that. It's, I suspect it's because men are not comfortable talking about any of this. I, I kind of relate to that. It's like, oh, come on, suck it up, buttercup. You know, we're okay. Good grief. When I was a kid, we never talked about this stuff. And you're all just weak, you know. And, and then we go drown ourselves in booze and weed and gambling and porn and overwork, which is why addiction is number one for men. So I think that's how I explain all that. But who knows? The point is, it's a big deal for a lot of us, and it's getting a lot worse. And thank you to the 1,600 of you who responded to a brief survey about mental health here at Mountain. Here are the results of that. It mirrors what's going on everywhere else, okay? From ages 8 to 91, 1,600 of you said, yeah, this is, a, this is an issue. There was one issue over the last 12 months that it was the most common answer that rose to the top when, when asked, what are you dealing with? And you know what it was? Worry and anxiety. About 90% of us said, oh, yeah, I got that. I get that. And uh, stress and burnout was right behind at 70%. And by the way, when we asked, you know, do you know someone has really been struggling in the last year? 94% of us said, oh, yeah, I do. So this is, it's a big deal, isn't it? 
worry, anxiety. It means that this is, our, this, is our, this is us. This is our marriage. This is our living rooms, our bedrooms. This is our school bus. This is our classroom. This is our workplace. This is, this is our own headspace. This is the car that we drove uh, here today. In that car, there was this. When you reach out your hand in any direction from where you're sitting right now, you are going to touch someone who has been touched by worry and anxiety. So what we want to try to do today, I think, is, is um, lay out something that I think will help everyone. Um, and let me just say, as we begin, I, we're going to use worry and anxiety, for the most part, kind of interchangeably, almost synonymously, even though later I want to talk about some stuff that's sort of more of a, like a clinical anxiety, because that is a thing. And it needs some special attention, but for the most part, we're talking about worry and anxiety. The Bible kind of talks about them in a pre-scientific way, and I think it's okay. And, and it's normal. You know, it, it's, we all know what, what worry is. It's, it's when you get nervously excited about something. So you got excitement in a positive sense, and you got fear over here, and that nervous energy between is normal. But when it starts tilting over here to the, nerve, to the, worry, to the, to the fear side, that's when you've got worry and anxiety that, that, that can become... Uh, more crippling. And of course, there's a continuum. There is such a thing as normal worry. That's actually a good thing that we need. It's normal. It happens in everyday life. It, worry can actually prod you to do some things that we need to do, to raise your kids right, to pay your taxes on time, you know, to, to apply for that job. Worry can, can be a good thing. It doesn't stop your life. It just comes, it goes. It's part of what we deal with to make us resilient. But as you move along this continuum, it can become more and more pervasive or consistent or persistent and then fill you more and more over here to your place where it's like a, a more a more, I guess, all-pervading dread or even an angst that just kind of stays with you and life becomes more unmanageable at that point. It starts affecting the way you live. So the more that this becomes not just a thing we deal with but like a habit that, that lingers and a way of life, the more we've got down into this clinical sense of anxiety and, and we've got too much to manage. One final comment before we jump in is we're all different and we deal with different stuff in different ways. So let me just start by, by making sure you're being honest with yourself, even though you're maybe giving a lot of people roses. You got weeds in your garden on this too. And so ask yourself, what do, you worry, what do I worry about? What keeps you up at night? What are the things that you kind of worry about? It'll make you kind of like thinking about yourself rather than someone else. Because someone else maybe worries about stuff you don't. And it's easy to think, well, how stupid is that? I'm not afraid of spiders. Why are they jumping around the room? But that's them, and you're you, and we've got to kind of make allowances for each other. Some people worry about large rooms of people. Others about maybe a test. What do you worry about? You might worry about, you know, sin being exposed in your life, or getting fired or separated from family or losing someone you love. Someone else maybe not as much on those things. You might worry about performance review, social anxiety. We worry about our kids. We worry about our parents. We worry about the weather, bridges, snakes, heights. We worry about economy, war, terrorism, the future, our country. We worry about talking to people, rejection, God not loving us. So I've given you a few ideas to prompt. Now you can be worried about something. This will be more practical this way. What I'd like to do to start with is just think about worry from a kind of biblical perspective, and I want to just try to give us some spiritual 
perspective first that will help every one of us. We're going to get to the clinical, like stuff that falls, maybe, you know, there's some special things that have to happen there. But there's a lot in Scripture about this topic because it's like God knew we would need help with it. And there's a lot there. And I, we're going to get to some of the other stuff. But I want to give a biblical framework so that we all have some solid resources. And just remember how the Bible really talks about this thing because our culture is kind of running wild with it. So first thing I also want to remind you of a series we did in 2020, right when the pandemic hit. We were in the middle of a series called Anxious for Nothing. I want to strongly refer you back. That whole series was about this topic that we'll just try to address in the next couple minutes here. But so I want to give you a biblical framework for thinking about dealing with anxiety. It's going to really, really help you. Number two, I want to I, I want to give you some basic teaching from Jesus that I think will liberate you. And number three, we're going to talk about clinical anxiety and here's someone's story that I think will really, really be encouraging to you. So let's jump in. First, the concept. And to start there, I want to go to Psalm 62. Psalm 62, the whole thing it's just one of many places I could have chosen, but Psalm 62, the whole thing is written to someone who's really stressed out, who's, who's filled with worry, okay? So what are you worried about? What are you, what are you stressed? What, what are you thinking and anxious about? It's written to that person in that time who feels like, man, I'm in a battle here where I've just got stuff shooting at me and people coming at me and the world's like coming at me like, like someone's shooting a cannon fire. I am feeling it. I'm in the middle of that. It's what it feels like in this heightened sort of place of worry and anxiousness. The word comes in Psalm 62 verse 5. Find your what? Rest, O oh my soul. Where? In God alone. That's the key. And then look at some of the words that pop out. My hope comes from him, from God alone. Truly, he, and then it describes what that God is like. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my what? What's a fortress? It's where, you, it's where when you're getting bullets shot now, you feel like I am really nervous and uptight. It's where I run when I feel like life's really coming at me and everything's attacking me. It's a safe place where I go, where I run and hide. God is like that. He's my salvation. He's my fortress and I'm not going to be shaken. And then it says, my salvation and my honor, what? Depend on God. These things that are so nerve-wracking to me, like am I going to make it? What about my name? What about my reputation? What about my family? What about my future? What about my reputation what about all this stuff all that doesn't depend on me thankfully it depends on God and I'm going to run into him and there I will be safe that's the picture the biblical picture he's a rock he's a refuge when you're under attack and you're feeling the worry and that stuff mount Psalm 18 says the same thing another way the name of the Lord that's God himself he's a fortified tower he's super strong and the righteous the people who know that God guess what they do they just run into it they just get inside, get under that, and there's a safety that's there. So let me unpack the concept this way. Ashley Woldridge describes it this way. He says that when worry and anxiety increase, they, they, the worry and anxiety, they rise when we do not trust one of two things, or both, that we don't trust that God is really, that God really cares, or that God is strong and able to do anything for us. Those two things. When we don't when we really don't trust that, fear and anxiety, worry, are going to grow. But when we come to know God, 
the God of the Bible in our own experience in an intimate, personal way, then you begin to, to have evidence and truth and you believe and you know that he really does care and he really is able to help us. And then guess what happens to your worry and anxiety? It resides. It, it subsides. So it's like as if you've got these two strong pillars, okay, that hold up, picture a big pillar, big pillar, that hold up this, the roof of the tower that we run into, the shelter, the, the place we go, the fortified place, are held up by these two pillars of, of God's goodness and God's control. Can you see the two pillars? God's goodness and God's control. God's control is God's power. Everybody say, God is great. That's a pillar you got to decide if you think that pillar is there. God is great. And then the other pillar is God's, God's care, God's compassion, God's love. Everybody say, God is good. God is great. God is good. Those form a roof under which when you live in there, guess what? You will still have stuff come at you. But when it does, there's a roof over you. You're inside that space. And when you know that God is great and God is good, you just don't worry in the same way. You just don't. You'll still have stuff, situational, biological, all of it. You'll still come at you, but you're like, I, I run in there and somehow I feel safe. I, I let, let the seed billows roll because it is now well with my soul. Why? Because I'm in that space. It's when I live outside that space. I'm going at my life and I'm like, I'm the one, everything depends on me. Not on him alone, but on me alone. You better be worried. If you don't think God is really caring about you then he didn't care about my kids the way I do he didn't care about my parents he didn't care about this situation he didn't care about this I gotta this is all on me of course you're gonna be worried if you live outside this space over here you think well I don't God probably does care but he can't do anything I don't think he's alive and does anything in the world anymore it's all on me I'm gonna solve this I'm gonna go to work and so you just you just like you're trying to do it all yourself and how's that working out for you it's when we get back in that space and it's like, thank God there is a God that, you know what, I can't, being, being a Christian, being in this space doesn't mean you won't have situational or stuff happen to you. It means when it does, somehow you still find joy and peace and serenity that abide and you know it as well with my soul. Because you have a tower you can run into and you are safe. So let me ask you a question, where are you living? This is where the Bible says you live here You'll look at worry, stress, anxiety a way different way than someone who's out here. And the problem is we say all the right things. We say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I live in here. But the fact is sometimes we act like we're the only one who really cares about things. So that's why we spend all of our time and energy trying to solve all the world's problems because no one else really understands, including God. And so as we try to find our way getting back into this space, that's how we deal with it. And this is, I think, what Jesus is teaching. I want to move to the second thing here. I want to help you see some of Jesus' basic teaching on worry and anxiety. You ready to go? If you've got a Bible, you open it to Matthew chapter 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount. He just got done teaching the Lord's Prayer. He just got done teaching us how to depend on God alone. And then he says, let me tell you how this works out in real life. Chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, say it with me. Whoa, whoa, wait, that, that must be a typo. Did we get these slides right? Is this right? Did Jesus really? He said that. Okay, let's say it again. Therefore, I tell you about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't that life more than food and the body more 
than clothes. This is a very fascinating thing that Jesus says. Notice a couple things. When he's talking about your food, your body, your clothes, this is not trivial. This is, he's talking to a subsistence society, a culture where they didn't have nothing. This was the stuff they worried about the most. So think for a second. What do you worry about the most? Maybe that stuff or a different list for you today. What do you worry about? What keeps you up at night? Got it? Now hear the words of Jesus. Do not worry about it. Don't you hate that? Jesus is, he is so not politically correct. He is such an insensitive person. Doesn't know he's supposed to validate my feelings and just tell me it's okay. You know, we just said last week it's okay to not be okay. And Jesus says, do not worry. It's like, I don't think he gets it. He's just not with it enough. He's not modern enough. He, does, he needs to worry more like us. He says, do not worry. Wow. Jesus is, I mean, there's, don't miss how, what he's saying. You don't probably have to be worrying about some of the stuff you're worrying about. Worry gets to be a habit that we depend on, and we never stop to ask whether it's really doing anything for us. We, f- we forget to notice how hurtful it is to us, and it takes us away from this space where we live, where we're meant to live, and when you can live. So he goes on, verse 26. How can I rethink this? Jesus says, okay, let me help you out here. Verse 26 says, just for a moment, just uh, as an illustration, would you look at the birds for a minute? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store or put away and put in barns. They're not going to work. They're not not working on the farm. They're not worried about the economy. They're not like, oh my gosh, look at the housing market, the price of lettuce. They're not worried about any of that. They're just, they just know the Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? Why should I be discouraged, Jesus says. You know, you got to think about this. His eye is on the sparrow, so I know he watches me. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you saw a stressed out bird? It's like, oh, i got to get home. Oh, my gosh, i got to get home. The dishes are piling up. It's like, oh. No, they're just like, what are you doing today? Nothing. I'm going to eat, grab something to eat. That lady over on forest, she always puts the food out. You know, she's like, they just don't worry. They're just like, that's how they are. Something about a bird knows how to live right here. Jesus says, I wouldn't be, you'd learn something from there. And then go to look at verse 27, the next verse. You say, well, yeah, it's easy for you to say, joke about my life. I'm not a bird. I got real problems. I got to worry. I got a lot to worry about. It's like, okay, let me, let me just say, let me ask you a question. Can any of you, if you are a professional worrier, is that adding to your life, like giving you more time to solve? What's it really doing? How's that working out for you is what Jesus says here. Can any of you buy worrying Add a single hour to your life, or does it help you, you know? Hey, I've noticed that the more I worry, the better I feel. <laughs> Said no one ever. This is what Jesus is teaching. We already know this. How many of you feel like in your lives you have less worry now that WebMD is so available? <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, it's like, look it up on WebMD. No, no, because you know the punchline. Whatever you punch in, the answer is you got cancer. It's like, that's how it is. It's like, I have a hangnail. Punch it in. Hangnail. Cancer. Honey, I got cancer. It's like, I ate Fruit Loops. You got cancer. My name's Bob. You got cancer. It's like, everything's the same. It's just like, we, we, we have all this information, and it's just bad in our brains. It does, worry does not solve anything. You know, there's studies that show 90% of what we worry about never happens anyway. And no, and I know as soon as I say that, you're going, yeah, but it's that 10%. See, that's because what we're professional worriers. Here's a quote. Worry doesn't actually stop death. Did you know that? If you're going to die, you're going to die. So, okay. What it does do is stop life. That's what it does. 
It doesn't take away tomorrow's troubles at all. It just adds them to today, and it steals today's peace. That's what worry does, and that's Jesus' point. Verse 28, he goes on. Why do you worry about clothes? He says, for example, look at the flowers of the field. Look at the way they grow. They don't labor. They're not worried about all that. And then he picks the most GQ, best-dressed guy of his day, Solomon. He says, even when he's really decked out and on the red carpet, he doesn't look as good as a flower. So if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is like here today, gone tomorrow, and so it's like, it's nothing, will he not much more clothe and take care of is the principle you? And then he gives a clue to the whole thing when he says, oh, you of little... And there's the clue about what he's really getting at. Fear and faith are inversely related. So when I believe, when I have faith that God is good and that God is great, then I worry less about, you know, supplying my needs and the things that are going to happen in my relationships and my finances. I trust more in the goodness and control of God. I know he's got the whole world in his hands and that includes me. So verse 31 Jesus wraps it up and he says, uh, so, so don't worry. Running around all the time saying, hey, what am I going to eat? Oh, I don't know. What are we going to drink? Oh, what are we going to wear? He says, you know, you, you, he's, he's getting around to saying, you know, the pagans run after these things. And your father knows that you need. When you run around, it's like your life has become a habitual sort of worry chorus. You look like someone who doesn't know God at all. You look like, it's exactly like, you look like someone who says, well, I know one thing, there ain't no God who's got any ability to help me, and I know that there, if there was one, he doesn't even care about me. That's what you look like. That's what a pagan is, is someone who says, I'm doing this on my own, and I've got to take care of this, this economy. Oh, I've, got to, I've got to really worry about that. My kids, are they're acting up. You know, my parents are getting old, and it's like, oh, I just got to worry, 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 worry. And he's like, you run around worrying about that stuff, and you make a habit of it, and it's all on you. Of course you're going to be worried. But, but so the question is, do you, do you trust that there is a God? And if so, what kind of a God? And if you think your security is in nailing down all this stuff, first I just got to make sure, oh good, I got something to eat. Oh, now I got something to drink. Now I got something to wear. Now I got to take care of work. Now I got to take care of the relatives. Oh, I got to take care of the shop. Now I gotta, and if I, you take care of all that and think that you will find your security in that, you are in for a rude surprise because eventually situational, biological, chemical, whatever, blows it all up and now you're like, uh-oh, now what? So if that's not where we ultimately are going to find, you know, trying to just manage life under our own strength and control and power, if that's not the key, what is? Jesus says, glad you asked. Verse 33, here it is. You know what you do? You seek first God and his kingdom and his purposes and his will for your life. Seek that first. Do the stuff that God has invited you to because that's where life is. And then all these other things, they're gonna be, they're, God is going to help you take care of them. It doesn't mean you don't work. It doesn't mean you don't care. It just means first things first. Reorder your life around the things of God. And therefore, he says, he ends the way he began. Do not worry about tomorrow. Don't drag, tomorrow's going to have its own problems. Don't go dragging tomorrow into today. Just worry about that when you get there. Seek God's kingdom. How many of us are worrying and filled with anxiety and all kinds of stuff because we haven't yielded to God's will in our life? We're, we're trying to wish God were a lucky charm or some kind of genie in a bottle that would just help us out of our stress instead of just saying, I'm going to live between the pillars of God's goodness and God's power. 
We're worried, number one, in this country is about financial pressure, but I, I wonder sometimes, is that area of your life completely surrendered to God? Are we expecting God's blessing without being obedient to God's purposes in that area? Or marriages, we, we worry about our marriages, but you know, is your marriage biblically based and is it Christ-like in every way that you have control over? We worry about our kids growing up and having a faith, but are you putting you know, the Lord first in your life, in your schedule, your priorities? Seek first the kingdom of God. And we worry about being single or widowed or alone, but the invitation is to seek God's purposes first and, and let contentment and joy surprise us. There's so many things we need to learn about putting God's kingdom first. So let me just kind of wrap this all up by being practical here as much as I know how and just say um, maybe four quick hitters here that every one of us can do as a super practical way to deal with worry. Number one, you could start a gratitude journal. Get yourself a little moleskin, a little new folder on your phone and spend two minutes the end of the day, writing down, not just thinking briefly, but write down everything you can think of that you're grateful for that day, or at least 10 things. You name them, and you thank God for them, because here's why. As you thank God for all he's done in your life, it is nearly impossible to be grateful and worried at the same moment. Number two, connect with others. Because isolation feeds this and kills us. It's why during the pandemic, everything in mental health rose, all the bad signs. Get connected. Being with people will help. Talking to people will help. You will still wrestle with things, but you don't have to wrestle alone. When I was nine years old, I played baseball for the Barlow's Grocery Store um, baseball team in Rochester, Minnesota. Aside from being handsome, I was skinny. And... Uh, it was 9 to 11 year old league and I was 9 and very small and very young and there were actually big guys, other guys in this league. They had muscles and wives and I mean it was, they were huge beards. I mean it was horrible. And so I, I never hit the ball that whole season. I never made contact in a game. I struck out every single time I went to the plate until the coach said, Benny, just squat, just get down low. And so I would make my strike zone about that big and then I got on base every time with a walk. And I helped my team. You know what? We won the city championship that year. You know, you know how that happened? I was surrounded with some really good people. Some of you need that. You need to get surrounded with some, maybe I'll dare say better people. Because some of your worry and anxiety is directly tied to who you're connected to. And some of the people in your life are actually adding to that. And, and you may not be able to remove those people. I'm not suggesting that. I'm saying you might, you might need to just... You might need to just get surrounded with the right people. That's why we talk about community around here so much in small groups. Friends, just get over yourself and get in a group. Get connected on a serving team. We have peer coaches all over waiting for your call, okay, who can talk with you. Number three, scripture intake every day. Scripture intake. Is your mind fixated more on the problems that life gives you or the promises God gives you? Because the answer to that question will determine how high your worry is. Is your mind more fixated on the problem life gives you or the promises God gives you? Get a reading plan. There's all kinds of stuff in the Bible reading app. Passages like Psalm 23. Write this down. Psalm 23. Romans 8. Philippians 4. Write it down. Get to it. And number four and finally, talk with God. 
take it to the Lord. Look at Lamentations 2. It just says, I rise out in the night when, I'm, when everyone else is sleeping. I can't sleep. I'm going to pour out my heart like water in the presence of God. Isn't that a beautiful image? When's the last time you did that? Lord, I'm really struggling. I want to give this to you. Lord, I'm feeling anxious about this. I want to ask for your help. I need your comfort. I need your strength. I need you to deal with it. Worry is when you said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What's going to happen? What Prayer is simply taking the same things you're worried about and giving it to God. God, what are you going to do? I'll check in the morning. I'm going to bed. That's prayer. You can worry. You can pray. Four things you can do right there. Maybe one of those you need to get more serious about. I want you to hear Holly's story because she helps us see something vital about worry. And all these spiritual things will help everyone, but sometimes there's even more that's needed because of the clinical nature. I want you to hear Holly's story. Watch the screen. Hi, I'm Holly. I'm married to Luke, Mountain's executive pastor. Together we have five awesome kiddos. I work over at the Epicenter, and you'll find us hanging out at the Edgewood campus. So my journey with disordered anxiety really began in college. I had a series of just debilitating anxiety attacks. And I say disordered because everybody experiences anxiety with life stressors, but my body's response is a disordered one. And what I mean by that is, so adrenaline, when it hits my system, I'm really sensitive to it. And it often will trigger kind of a panic response in me. And it happens when it really doesn't make sense for it to happen. It's not a logical reason. A lot of times it's during just everyday, normal experiences. So for instance, I might be out with my friends, we're having dinner, we're having a great time, and then panic will kind of rise within me. And it doesn't really make sense, but it, but it's debilitating and it's, it's scary. Uh, Seasons where I'm really heightened with my nervous system, it's hard for me to even drive to the grocery store because I feel panicked doing that. Um, one of probably the hardest situations for me is when Luke has to travel. I am just sick to my stomach leading up. I'm panicked as he's leaving, while he's gone. I'm anxious, I'm panicked. Uh, and so that's a definite, uh, definitely one of the harder scenarios for me. And sometimes it just feels so scary to me that I don't even want to be alone. I have friends that come and um, hang with me when I have to be alone because I, I just don't want to be alone with those feelings. Uh, the other part of my disordered anxiety is I have kind of what's called like a sticky mind. And so, you know, everybody has maybe scary thoughts that they don't want to think and it kind of comes in and goes out. But for me, that really sticks in my mind. So for instance, somebody might think, what if one of my children dies? And that passes through and it's like, oh, I don't want to think that, what a horrible thought, but then they kind of go about their day. For me, that can kind of get stuck in my head and I just kind of ruminate on it. And then my body actually thinks, oh my goodness, that, that's a threat, that actually might happen. And it ignites a panic response in me. And so that's another way that the disorder, the anxiety is disordered because it's not, it's not just a normal response to a stressor. It's everyday life, everyday thoughts, everyday occurrences that can um, strike panic within me. And it's really unpredictable, quite honestly. I go through seasons where I'm okay. I'm, I, I do okay. And then I go through seasons that are really debilitating, that are really difficult just to even face every day with the amount of anxiety that I feel. So that's, that makes it kind of hard. One of the most challenging things about having disordered anxiety is by far for me the overwhelming guilt that I feel when 
uh, I think that my anxiety is affecting other people. So for instance, if Luke has to alter his plans or the kids want to go do something fun, but I'm just too anxious to do it, or uh, I cancel plans with friends, it just, there's so much guilt with that because I never want my struggle to affect other people. And shame comes along with that too. And then it kind of switches to anger. I just get angry sometimes that it's still a struggle for me. You know, 11 years ago, we did a sermon series called Dancing with the Scars. And I shared my story of anxiety. And to be 11 years out, if you would have said, oh, you're still gonna be sharing that same story 11 years later, I'd have thought, no way, there's no way. I'm, this is gonna be behind me, you know, in 11 years. So to be back in here in this situation and saying, yeah, no, it's still, I'm still in it. I'm, I'm in the journey, I'm in the thick of it, can sometimes feel defeating. But I'm not defeated, and that is because I've seen God's faithfulness year after year after year. And I've seen God use my story, not only to draw me closer to Him, but for others to draw closer to Him. I can't tell you how many people have told me over the last 11 years that they're so grateful that I shared my story um, during that sermon series because it really made them feel not alone. And it'd be so easy for me to like shake my fist at God and say, why, you know, I have years of journals that where I'm just praying like, please God, take this from me. Please God, take this from me. And I've seen a shift in my heart and in my spirit to now I say, okay, if this is to be the thorn in my side, use it for your glory. And don't get me wrong, I would love for him to still take it. But if it's to be the thorn in my side, God, use it for your glory. But then he's also just given me some practical, he's pointed me to, to therapists and doctors and friends that has just given me some practical ways to cope. One is I tell my family and friends, they, they all know that I struggle with this. It's not a secret. And so it really eliminates the shame part of it. The second thing is I take medication. I've been on it for 19 years. I work with my doctor to keep the dose where it needs to be, to just kind of keep my mind and my body calm. There's no shame in medication. There's no shame in medication. Uh, the third thing is I've done therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure therapy is by far um, the best for me. It's been the most helpful. And lastly, I know uh, my anxiety is worse when, I, when I'm out of whack with my rhythm. So if I'm not sleeping well, if I'm not eating well, if I'm not exercising, those are all kind of indications that, okay, anxiety is rising here and I know I need to get those things back in check. And so those are some of the ways that I've learned over the years to cope with anxiety disorders. So maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh my gosh, she is telling my story. Like, this is you. Can I just say something to you right now? Can you just listen? You are not broken. Your brain is not broken. You're not crazy. You're not going crazy. And you, oh my goodness, you are not alone. We have an enemy in this world and of your soul that wants you to believe that your story is beyond hope. You might be thinking to yourself, oh, Holly, that's not so bad. I haven't left my house in a year, or I haven't done X, Y, and Z. I'm way worse off. I'm, I'm way beyond hope. No, you're not, and that is a lie. We serve a God that is a God of hope and a God of healing and of restoration. And so tell your people, tell your community what you're experiencing. And if you don't have one, get in a group here at Mountain. Talk to your doctor. Maybe medication would be helpful to you. Find a therapist that specializes in anxiety. Don't quit because you are not beyond hope. And guess what? Just because you're in the struggle doesn't mean that God cannot use you. He absolutely can still use you. And maybe you're sitting there and you're like, that doesn't really sound like me, but it's someone I love. It does sound like somebody I love. 
Can I just plead with you to just be really patient? I know that it's irrational. I know it's not logical. I know it can feel so frustrating. But the fear and the discomfort and the panic that that loved one is experiencing is very, very, very real. And chances are they already feel so guilty and bad about how they feel. Please don't add to that. Be patient, be kind, be loving, because they really need you and your support to get better. Listen, I've got weeds in my garden. We all do. But the weeds do not define me. I am a beloved child of God, and so are you. Amen. Okay. So where is a part of life, you guys? But Jesus says there's a lot of it we don't need, even need to do. And so if it's become sort of a habit for you, a dependent thing, or uh, you're looking to it more than you are to the God that uh, made you, or if it's become sort of chronic in a situation more like what Holly has had to deal with all these years. Um, there's help and there's hope. We've shown some of those things. And I encourage you to take those steps to find a different, more full way of living so that you can be all that God really meant you to be without so much worry and anxiety weighing you down. But at the end of the day, we live right here between the, between the power and the love of a very good God. Let's pray. God... We thank you for um, the fact that your word is so down to earth and real and you don't just say, oh, you've got nothing to worry about. You say that when we do, here's, here's how you do it. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for the presence of Jesus and the strength of your, your hand in our life. Thank you for caring for us and being powerful. And we pray for everyone who's worrying and especially those of us who've made a habit of it, like we're professional at this. To help us to grow and to move past what we can and then where we need help from others or other interventions that you would give us the wisdom to go to that toolbox that you've also given to us so that we might find the wholeness you desire for each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen.